everyone. I'm Megan McCluskey, and I'm happy to welcome you back to The Intersection, a podcast that brings you candid conversations with members of our community and leaders in our industry. This week, we welcome John Anderson and Russell Andrews. John acts as head of practice management for our advisor business in the U.S., while Russell serves as head of solutions for our asset management distribution team in the U.K., Europe, and Asia. In today's episode, John and Russell touch upon the impact of the pandemic on the advisor space and discuss what the future could hold for advisors and their clients moving forward. Take a listen. John and Russell, thanks so much for joining us today. I know you're incredibly busy, a lot going on with everything that's going on. Um, The financial services industry has certainly been impacted by the pandemic, um, specifically in the advisor community and the role that advice and technology play in this space. And today, investors have so much information at their fingertips. How does that impact the relationship between the advisor and, and a client? And where does the role of the advisor, which has been historically centered around providing clear and meaningful advice, how does that change? Well, maybe I'll... I'll take it first here, Russell, and then you can you can follow up. I think the, the role has changed, I think, dramatically over the last couple of years, and the recent pandemic, the recent stay-at-home, and everything that's been going on, frankly, I think has accelerated it. Uh, what I've seen around the marketplace is this shift, the shift away from what we call an advisor-centric business to more of a consumer-focused business. When I say advisor-centric, it's the advisor that had the ability to pick the product, pick the service model, pick the pricing, pick how they wanted to interact with the client. The client was kind of stuck because they typically looked for an advisor in their neighborhood, in their town, in their city, in their county, in their, in their area. And what we're seeing today is that with the use of technology, with the use of specialization, and with the use of, of um, this, this shift from a, uh, to, to a consumer-centric business, consumers are now empowered to go out and search for the type of advisor that they want, the type of relationship that they want. You only have to look at other types of businesses to see this shift happening. I look at retail, for example. You've got stores and malls where you are always, uh, you are always subject to the inventory of whatever that merchant had. Today, I can go online and I can pick any size, shape, manufacturer, color, quantity. I can get ratings. I can get pricing. All sorts of things that so so the consumer is now being empowered to look for and to search out for what they're looking for in a relationship. So that's where I'm kind of seeing this shift in the advice business as well. Yeah, I think I mean I think that's a great point, John. I mean the the, the shift towards the consumer has been pretty profound in the last few months. Um, I think the the point around information is an interesting one because in my mind it creates this real sort of dichotomy in the sense that information is a very positive thing. But at the same time, it can be quite a risky thing or a dangerous thing because, you know, information is great, but if it's out of context, it can it can also lead to, you know, bad decisions or, or potentially no decisions. But I think what that's actually done is it's presented a real opportunity for advisors to be able to step in and start to, you know, help answer some of those questions that, you know, their clients have got based upon, you know, an abundance of information that is now at their fingertips. So, you know, I think it it gives a great opportunity for advisors to start to change the relationship, start to introduce more kind of less tangible elements of value to what they may have been um, providing in the past you know, really helping the clients through an education process. So, you know, people read a lot of information. I think the pandemic 
has been a great example in, in that the last six months there's been you know huge swathes of information presented around you know what's what the pandemic means for for the economy you know and a lot of that can be very scary but it really what this does is it gives a good opportunity for advisors to be able to take that empowered investor and really take them through a journey which gets them to a good outcome and, and doesn't let the information almost drive the decisions um i also agree in that that, that empowerment is is actually really really important because with empowerment often comes engagement so as people feel more empowered they also start to feel more engaged in a situation because they have knowledge they feel like they can influence and, and be more involved in in the conversation as opposed to it being very transactional and kind of you know <clears throat> historically advisors would have a conversation that was in response to a particular need now these conversations are much more fluid, um, much more holistic. So I think that, that, that having information is is really a great um, almost opportunity for advisors to start to demonstrate value in different ways. I think that's absolutely correct. I wrote a piece back in April and I, and I talked about kind of what we've learned so far. And one of the first things that I, I wrote was that advice beats product. And the ability that, to have a plan in place and, and to the plan that's focused on goals and progress to goals reporting and giving the client the peace of mind is, is something that, that advisors were really latching onto today. It wasn't about what can I sell you, it was about co-planning, allowing them to focus on the whole situation and put it into perspective. And that really was one of the things that I think that, you know, the word you just use, Russell, empowering. Uh, it, the more confident I feel in my plan, the more empowered I am to go forward. And that's really what advisors hopefully should, are focusing on today and we'll continue to focus on in the future. So, you know, the information equates to knowledge and, you know, it's important to, to encourage that engagement. You know, the human element is such an important piece of the relationship between an advisor and, and their client. How has that changed? Why is that more important today than ever? Well, I mean, it's become so important in the last few months, you know, that having the ability to to have that human touch, you know, to, to kind of really talk through, through people through what's been a very challenging situation, you know, particularly clients who might be in a position where they're, they're close to retirement um, and they've seen that, you know, their retirement assets change quite dramatically over a short period of time. So having that kind of human touch, it remains, you know, super, super important. But obviously, they've had to do it in a very different way. You know, we know that you know the human face-to-face -face interaction has kind of been the cornerstone of financial advice for many, many decades. But that's not been available. Um, so I think what we've seen is is a huge amount of resilience from the advisor community to be able to quickly adapt to a virtual world. I think it's certainly demystified some of the concerns around you know how comfortable their clients might be, you know, using digital tools as opposed to the old-fashioned way of, you know, a hard copy proposal and a and a face-to-face -face meeting. But I think it's real testament, as I say, to the advisors who have who've been able to make that leap quickly, and a testament to the to the clients as well who who have been very adaptable. Um, but it's yeah, it, you know, we can't eliminate the human nature that that sort of sits within advice. You know, that coaching mentality, that ability to engage and, and understand. You know, they remain you know at the forefront of what advice is all about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. What I'm seeing around here is there's two types of advisors. Um, there's the types of advisors that have embraced technology. 
that were early on, they were getting on Zoom calls and, and doing types of mailings and, and, and being proactive in the time. And then there's the advisor that kept sitting back saying, well, I'll wait till the pandemic's over and then I'll go back to face-to-face -face because that's what my clients really want. Over the last couple of weeks, I've seen a, a real big change in the consumer where they're looking around saying, my advisor didn't service me or I don't have an advisor and now I have specific questions. So the advisors that really embraced this change, the advisors that, that were proactive and the ones that reached out and used technology to enable to, them to continue the relationships are the ones that are seeing growth. They're the ones that are seeing real advice happening with their client. Um, I think this is really kind of creating a, a separation, if you will, of two different types of advisors out there. And the ones that are growing are, are the ones that are, are, are using technology and, and, and getting out there. And the ones that aren't growing are the ones that are, you know, just doing that wait and see approach. And I don't think the world's going to change. I mean, yeah, we'll go back once in a while to a face-to-face. -face, but, you know, the idea of, of me as a client, you know, getting dressed, getting in my car, fighting traffic, trying to find a place to park just to go see my advisor for a quarterly update or a semi-annual update meeting, I don't know that, that I'm going to do that anymore. I think there will be some face-to-face, -face, but we do have to, to, to really look at this technology and say, how do we help our clients, but do it in a way that, uh, that we can all uh, meet maybe virtually a little bit more often? Yeah. I mean, I would say it, it's, it's not one way or the other, right? It's about having the option. Yeah. I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who perhaps have even been reluctant to, you know, consider an advisor because they don't necessarily have the appetite to want, you know, to want to meet face to face. Some people don't, you know, feel comfortable in that type of arena. So being able to offer that optionality, that sort of flexibility around interaction, you know, actually puts you in a, in a much better position to go and service, you know, many more clients. And I think the last point I'll say on that is, you know, we are about to enter into a pretty meaningful period of wealth transition where suddenly you're dealing with a different generation and, and arguably a generation that, you know, has spent longer and, and maybe grown up more so using technology. You know, more recently, clearly technology has advanced significantly, but, but I think being prepared for that now having the right technological infrastructure in place as that wealth transition starts to take place. Again, it means that those who have embraced it are going to be you know, in a far stronger position to kind of maximize that opportunity. So when you look at this engagement um, with clients, uh, for advisors with their clients and, you know, Russell and John, to your point, with the industry changing even more rapidly now given the pandemic, you know, there's this trend of hyper-personalization taking place and the importance that um, the investors, they, they're looking for this. What impact does that have on advisors as they're not only transitioning their businesses into this virtual world, but looking to hyper-personalize um, their services for the client? So I think there's, I think we have to look at what the industry is going to evolve into. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a couple of different reports that says, you know, uh, 10 years from now, which very well may be five near, years from now based on the pandemic, there's really three different types of advisory firms, right? There's the, the mega firms, the large firms with, you know, billion under management, two billion under management that have a lot of resources and a lot of scale and a, the ability to provide for that ultra high net worth family um, it, pretty much most of what they're looking for. On the other end of the spectrum, there's going to be the digital providers, the ones that provide, I'll say, more general financial planning, 
typically uh, compiled with uh, or put together with maybe a product offering and typically low-cost ETFs or, or something to that effect. And that's that middle section really is where I think many of the advisors, at least the many advisors that we work with, live. And what they're doing today is they're trying to find how do I differentiate? I'm not going to out-resource the mega firms, and I'm going to be commoditized if I try to compete with the digital providers. So when your clients that are out there that are looking for this, you know, again, I go to, I go to uh, you know, the Internet today, and I'm getting pop-up ads on things I looked at the other day, and I'm getting other ads coming based on, on research that I've done. So, so we know AI is, is keeping an eye on us, and I'm used to getting this curated content, whether I'm looking for movies or I'm looking for product. I think that people don't go out and type in, I want a general financial plan. They type in, I'm looking for a specific idea. I'm looking for a specific problem. I want to know how do I exercise stock options correctly? How do I deal with a, uh, an aging parent with dementia and their financials and things like that? So to my point is that I think today people are in this hyper-personalized world and they're looking for advisors that meet their needs. So today, the advisor needs to think about how do I personalize my services? How do I create more specialization in my services? How do I create more focus on the services that I provide? And we need to do our marketing. We need to do our websites. We need to do everything around that hyper-personalization if we want to attract consumers. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. I think it's not hyper-personalization is not an important thing. It's an absolutely critical thing. You know, we've all been fully accustomed like John mentioned, you know, to, to having a hyper-personalized sort of situation in other walks of life, you know, whether it's shopping, whether it's streaming content, even with our own, you know, mobile devices, we're constantly being nudged in a very personalized type of way. And I think that people won't accept anything other than that through, you know, all forms of sort of service provision as time goes by. So I think it's critical that people are, are sort of starting to adopt that, that mindset. I mean, the biggest, the biggest challenge, I think, for a lot of the, the advice firms, particularly the ones in that sort of center field that, that John mentioned, is, is how do you do it, right? Because it's not, you know, it's different if you're, a, if you're an Amazon or if you're a Netflix to be able to kind of collect so much rich information and then be able to sort of repurpose that in a, in a sort of an intelligent way. <clears throat> but it's, it's not something that advisors should shy away from either as a, as a result of not being an Amazon, right? So it's really a question of how do you get, the data and how do you accompany that with the right technology to be able to enable you to hyper personalize in a in a sort of a, a sort of a scalable way if you like so that's the big challenge and i think the you know it's it's an avenue that advisors will need to look for help you know they'll need partners who can support them um you know i wouldn't encourage anyone to suddenly try and build that architecture themselves there are plenty of outsourced providers who can do that for them um one being SEI but uh it really even there you know when you take the data um you know data in itself I always think about it is you know people talk about data so fluidly but really it's you know it's like almost a out sequence you know Fibonacci code right it means nothing 
right? So we need technology to be able to then take that data and to normalize it in a way that then makes it usable. And then we need advanced technology like AI, as, as John mentioned, to be able to then take that data and actually make it really intuitive and usable. And I think it's only by adopting a strategy like this that really is going to get advice firms, you know, to to the position where they can truly meet the demands of the client, you know, who, like I say, has been accustomed to this kind of level of behavior for some time now in, in other, you know, personal sort of um, circumstances. So I think there's a lot to do, but I think it's, there's, there's lots of opportunity for advisors to kind of embrace that and that, that journey. And one of the things that, that we did a, a couple of years ago is, is to try to help advisors. Now, granted, we're not going to go out and buy AI technology today. We're not going to try and do all this different programming. But one of the things that I think makes sense is to start to create personas of what your ideal client looks like. So if I could sit down and, and yeah, we start with the demographic information, but we want to dig down deep into what type of client do I work with best or what types of clients do I work with best. Start focusing in on what they look like, what they act like, where they work, what their job title is, what their company is that they work with, who they relate who they have relationships with, how they feel about investing, and so on and so on and so on. So by creating kind of this persona, you can start to ask, what does this persona, what, what's the best way to market to this person? What's the best way to service this person? What's the best way to uh, charge my, for my services with this person? By creating these personas, you at least have the beginning stages of creating kind of who this ideal client is, and then take that persona and put that into your CRM, where now if you're doing any type of marketing letters or you're doing type any uh, communications or you see an article, you say, what does my, I think one of the people that we worked with called it a retiring Ricardos. What does my retiring Ricardo look like? Uh, and what do they, what, what information would they look like? And then she used, uh, what are my savings values? What type of information would they appreciate in the relationship with me? Um, and so, so there are ways to get started, uh, at least creating that persona and say, who am I talking to in my marketing? Who am I talking to in my the client service, what do they appreciate? And I'd love to use all the other technology down the road, but please get started by creating this 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 persona or this avatar, whatever whatever you want to call it. That's terrific. And you know when you when you look at the regulatory landscape within the advisor space, I mean it it feels like it changes constantly. What role does technology play for advisors and and navigating? Those, those regulations and the impact that it could, they could have on their businesses. Yeah, I mean, technology has already for some time been a, a, a really powerful tool with, as it relates to, um, you know, meeting a very aggressively changing regulatory environment. But I always want to make sure we come back when, when it comes to regulations that, you know, advisors have you know, regulation because they're advisors. Right. That's important that we don't ever lose that principle. And it's important that that technology doesn't sometimes inadvertently create gaps in, in sort of regulatory standings. But there's absolutely no question that if used correctly and effectively, then technology can you know, make the, the cost of regulation much more bearable, can make the, the efficient implementation of regulatory change that much more manageable. You know, we've seen a huge amount of regulation 
changing, certainly in the UK over the last 10 years with RDR back in uh, start of 2013. We've seen MIFID, um, MIFID 2 come in, in in 2018. We've seen um, PRIPS come in. <clears throat> We've seen a whole sort of swathe of, of different pieces of regulation, which you know, in combination has been a real challenge for many, many advice firms and, and in fact has seen a number of advisors kind of give up the ghost, <laughs> so to speak, just because it's become too much. It's become too expensive. But if we can if we can adopt a technology strategy to tackle that, it means we, you know advisors give themselves a chance. And you know, a good example of that <clears throat> to me is, is GDPR. You know, GDPR is something that has you know become a, a real big sort of hotbed um, over the last couple of years. You know, we're now collecting data in different ways, using data in different ways. Data requires different levels of permissioning. And all of these things, trying to navigate that without the use of technologies is, I'd say, almost impossible. So being able to incorporate technology to manage your, your regulatory platform, it, it's really the only way I think that's, that's going to be you know, successful for, for advisor firms both now and in the future. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're dealing with something. I, I, one of these days, want to have a long discussion with you on the effects of RDR uh, because I think as in the U.S., we, we started with the Department of Labor's fiduciary rule, um, which didn't go through, um, but we ended up with Regulation BI from the SEC. Um, and I look at that as, as kind of our first steps into getting to where you are today. Uh, I looked at the DOL rule as a, as a uh, revolutionary change, which was too big and too dramatic, I think, for the industry to handle. But Reg BI is evolutionary. It's one next step to getting us to that fiduciary rule. And I think, you know, for us, it's all about showing your work today. There is no real clear definition of what is in the client's best interest. Um, RIAs do have a fiduciary responsibility, and I think the industry is going to continue to move that direction. Uh, so show your work and understand, you know, workflows and, and, and model management and things like that so that we can we can be compliant and still provide what we really need to do, and that's advice, not necessarily product. Yeah, I'm happy to have that, that conversation, John. I mean, <laughs> it, RDR was, um, yeah, was a, a, a large, significant milestone in the sort of UK advisory landscape. And, you know, I think it, it really did deliver on a, a lot of its promises around transparency, integrity, you know, just better practice, improving the, the qualifications of advisors. It, it didn't hit every mark. I'm not convinced that it really reduced the cost of advice for clients, but I'm not sure that was really the intention. It was really more about creating that, that clear transparency. Um, but, yeah, I, I can see how the, um, the the U.S. changes that you were referring to, they look very similar, but perhaps even slightly broader and bigger. Um, but it's an interesting one because some, from, uh, as someone from the UK, we often look to the US um, as our kind of yardstick to say this is you know, how things transition because you know, typically we would be you know, five to ten years behind. But certainly in this case, I think the UK has, has arguably led the way along with um, one or two other countries like Australia, for example, um, in really trying to you know, evolve that advisory landscape into a much, much more, you know, client-centric, much more respectable, you know, industry with real deep integrity. So I think it's, it's been beneficial. Great. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, I, I, I do believe that the SEC is looking at that and saying, we, we need to get there. We just can't get there in one fell swoop. We have to do it in multiple little steps. So 
the ramifications, I think, are going to continue in the UK, and, and we're certainly growing that our direction. Our country's going that direction as well. So when you when you look ahead to the next three months, which essentially puts us at the end of 2020 already, I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, what's one key action that you would suggest for advisors that will help set them up for success and, and growth in 2021? Well, I'm going to say, you know, go back to what I talked about a few minutes ago. Um, and it sounds simple and it sounds almost too basic, but having a, a better understanding of your client base, having a better understanding, create the personas together because, you know, it, it's amazing to me when advisors do reach out, are they really reaching out with the information that the clients are looking for? If I don't create the personas, if I don't create profiles, if I don't program them into my CRM, if I don't act upon it that way, I'm creating noise. And as soon as I hear noise as a client, I tend to throw it away and discount everything. So if I can start creating these, these personas, if I can start creating this, this more fine-tuned communication package, the consumer is going to be looking and say, this, this, this advisor knows me. This, this advisor knows exactly what I'm looking for. This is the advisor that can help me achieve my goals. Uh, I think the, first, you know, the next three months of this year, it's, 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 it's going to be focused, again, much more on this hyper-personalization. And if I don't get that right, then I'm lost in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a great piece of advice. Um, I was thinking about this as you were talking, John, and, you know, the, it, it would be easy for me to say, you know, you need to be embracing technology. You need to be adopting a more strategic technology um, strategy around driving better engagement. And I think that's all true. But I think that the one other thing that I would really stress um, that advice funders should probably start thinking about now is that wealth transition. You know, I'm fearful for a lot of advice firms that this is going to creep up on them. And as it hits, you know, I think statistics and research have shown that, you know, as, as, as wealth transitions the generations, advisors often get changed. So it's important to, to, to build a strategy that not only protects against what you have, but also really looks to maximize the opportunity for those who haven't, right? There's going to be a huge um, pool of, of wealth up for grabs in the advice market in, in anything from, you know, from now until, you know, 2030. So build that strategy now. Think about how technology can help you deliver that strategy, um, but don't, don't delay. Those are amazing points and great takeaways. Thank you both so much for joining us today and taking the time. Um, we look forward to having you again. It was a great conversation, guys. Great. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, Leslie. It's been great. Thanks for joining us again. Stay tuned for more conversations with members of our community. Until next time, stay well. And of course, we hope you'll meet us back at the intersection soon.